0: I'm Paul Higgins, an ex-corporate executive turned business owner who for five years struggled to grow a cloud consulting business whilst battling a chronic disease. With the help of mentors and experts, I got the business model right, built a sales and marketing engine and developed a high-performing team that ended in a successful exit. I received a kidney transplant from a mate and now on my second life, I dedicate my time to helping other cloud consultants scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life. Detecting an accent, I'm an Aussie working globally from Melbourne, Australia. I interview successful Cloud consultants sharing their scaling stories to give you inspiration and practical tips. I have dedicated experts for cloud consultants on the show to save you time and money by working with the right people. If you want to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins, and welcome to the Cloud Consultant Show, episode number 481. So, today's topic is scaling your Salesforce business. To 125 people while living a good life and you're going to learn some lots of value but three things that really stick out one is his three core values for the business and these aren't lip service the way that he articulates them what he does is is brilliant the second is an at-risk comp model and he goes into the detail of what that is and how it varies across different roles within the business and the third is his internal recruitment model to get his 125 people but also how he uses marketing and uh yeah some great tips there and if you're a first-time listen welcome and if you love what you hear please subscribe it's for you a cloud consultant so if you consult and deploy a SaaS business or a SaaS partner business you're in the right place and uh, if you're a regular I'd love to hear from you just email me at paul at paul higginsmentoring.com Say so that you listen and also suggest some topics or maybe a guest you might even want to be a guest yourself I'd love for you to pay it forward do that and there'll be a summary in the notes that you're listening to. So if you're riding or walking or whatever, you'll get those. And also the full transcript will be at pauligginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And before we go an interview with John, I'd like to thank our two sponsors. The first is the Cloud Consultants Collective. It's the world's only revenue-focused collective for cloud consultants. So it's peers answering business questions for peers, right? Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't waste your time on Google or YouTube. Just go to the thecloudconsultantscollecting.com, join free today. The next is Workflow Academy. Are your top performers feeling overwhelmed? And this could mean that they may, at best, underperform, at worst, may leave. We've got an innovative solution where we provide top junior talent to work under your top tier talent. And it's a game-changing solution. You can find out more at mentoring.com For sw. W. F-A. So, our guest today is John. He's the founder of CEO of Fast Slow Motion. Fast Slow Motion focuses on implementing Salesforce and HubSpot for growth businesses. It's one of the largest, highest rated partners in the Salesforce ecosystem and it focuses on growth businesses and clients across mainly the US. He had the pleasure of growing businesses himself. He's a uh, got a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from uh, University of Alabama in Birmingham. And he's also got an MBA from Emory University, He also co-founded the Red Mountain Grace, a Birmingham, Alabama-based ministry that houses and serves out-of-town families needing medical care in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, so what I'll do now is hand you over to John Burnett from FastSlowMotion.com. Great to have you here, John. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, look, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation we had in preparation for this, so I can't wait for you to to hear what John has got to say, he's uh, he built an amazing business and has a great life, and you're going to hear more about how he's done both of those today. But why don't we kick off with who your ideal client is and what problems you help to solve for them?
1: Yeah, our ideal clients that client that's struggling to scale their business, and they're um they've started and created a real business, they've they've made it, and uh, they're really struggling to get to the next level, or their business has turned out to be something that they didn't intend for it to be. So. We love professionalizing businesses and help them really operationalize everything so they can get their life back and really kind of build their business with intentionality and focus. Great,
0: and is there you know, any particular size, like you know, any employee size as a rough rule of thumb?
1: Yeah, um, it's typically smaller businesses that are wanting to grow is our sweet spot. We, we have clients all over the spectrum, but we do not like working with those large enterprise clients. We enjoy working with the smaller businesses. So they're typically 200 employees and less is usually our sweet spot, but we have clients with five employees and we have clients with thousands of employees, but they have more of that mentality of, I'm struggling to scale. I want to operationalize things and get better. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. And if you had to say like a mix between the, the people, the technology and the process, what's sort of your mix when you work with clients?
1: Yeah, I would say we're, we're right of the, the nice uh, hybrid or mixture of, of all of those. We believe technology is a great tool, but it needs to be applied the right way. And it's really about solving business problems and uh, making wise decisions with those. We like to challenge our clients and help them make wise decisions and help them understand the pros and cons of, of applying that technology. But at the end of the day, technology is fun. We enjoy getting our hands dirty and we focus on delivering those results through the technology tools that we leverage. Yeah, brilliant. And and as far as you know, the different
0: clouds, so to speak, or Salesforce, which ones do you cover? Which ones don't you?
1: Yeah, we. So we're primarily a Salesforce implementation partner. We're a summit tier partner. We do focus on what they would call lower mid market and below. So those are you know lower mid market, what they call growth business GRB and then SMB clients. It's really our sweet spot, and we focus across all different industries and uh, really all the different clouds. We have really experience and expertise in in everything from health cloud and financial services cloud, sales cloud, service cloud, CPQ, FSL, experience cloud, so on and so forth. It's really, if if it's a tool and a platform that will add value to our client base, we, we implement it. We do tend to stay away from the more expensive clouds like commerce cloud and things of that nature because the price point is too expensive for our customer base to purchase and then implement. Yeah, and I know you started in, you know, circa
0: 2014, so nine years, and you've grown it to, you know, 125 people, which we'll get into the people side in a moment. But as far as, you know, multi-cloud, if we can call it that, is that where you started or did you start in a couple of key ones and then sort of expand it from there?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we fundamentally believe of taking a holistic approach. And that's one reason we really like the Salesforce platform is you can run your entire business on it, get all your data in one place, consolidate all your processes and and minimize your integrations and things of that nature, because that creates a lot of technology challenges for a lot of people. So uh, Salesforce being the flexible platform, it is, allows us to do that all all in one place. However, usually we're either starting with sales or service cloud, because usually honestly, sales is usually what's broken. And if we fix the upstream processes, it helps the downstream processes and not vice versa. So we always come in with, uh, you know, let's solve something small, add a lot of value very quickly, and then iterate on that over time with the goal of hoping to address all aspects of the business and get that professionalized. And on a a standardized technology platform, that will scale.
0: Yeah, great. And what percentage of your leads come from Salesforce themselves?
1: Yeah, very, very high percentage. Um, We're very tightly coupled to Salesforce. As you know, they go to market with their partners uh, from an implementation standpoint. Their technology is obviously very powerful. As a result of that, it creates a great opportunity for us consulting partners out there because the clients need professionals like us who have made all the mistakes and what things to look out for and can really guide them along the way People that tend to self-implement and stuff like that typically don't adopt and typically fail. So it's a really nice symbiotic relationship that we have with Salesforce. So we invest heavily in that relationship. We spend a lot of time, resources, and energy helping Salesforce sell, enabling their sales team, helping them guide the customers the right way so that not only the customers buy the right products and get the right solutions, but then implement it the right way so that they're successful long-term. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And what are some of the
0: rhythms, the uh, behaviors that you have with Salesforce at the moment that um, you, know, you listening to, to John could learn from?
1: Yeah, so we really focus on serving and helping them. So we modeled our processes and systems about how they go to market and how they do things. So as many people know, Salesforce has a large direct sales force. They're the largest software company in the world that does have a direct sales model all the way down to the lowest customer. So if you're a a one-person business, you have a Salesforce account executive assigned to you, and that's not normal in the software ecosystem. So, a lot of times, those companies will go to market through their partners and and do that. Salesforce doesn't. So, as a result of that, they have a large Salesforce and they have quite a bit of turnover in that Salesforce because it's a very high-performing culture. You either do well and get promoted or you uh, <laughs> You you don't stay around very long. So as a result of that, we're working with anywhere from four to five to 600 account executives at a time. Uh, We primarily serve North America. And so we're working in all their different offices and all their different hubs, enabling those people, training those people, being around them to say, when this pops up, connecting them with our technical resources and business consultants to help solve those problems so that we can co-sell alongside them to do that. So it's a hybrid approach of really good systems and processes that align to their business model and then overlaying really good people on top of that to add value to them and as a result we get those referrals and continue to get those referrals over time yeah and and if i
0: understand it right so you you know physically go to their offices frequently and your team physically go there frequently yeah
1: you know, we have people located next to their offices they're in the offices multiple times a week And then we have other resources that are flying out doing events and enablements and things of that nature on a regular basis to really just add value to them and help them do their job. Because if we want to help them, but obviously as a result of that, we get helped as well, because we're helping them sell the right things, do the right things, close more deals. And we get to do the implementation work and fulfill our mission of being a blessing to these business leaders as they grow their business. Yeah. And and sometimes, you know, it's often spoke about the chicken and the egg with with salesforce where you know
0: like i might not have the people but i need to go to to them to get the the leads and then you know they give me too many leads and then you know i can't find the people you know that sort of chicken and the exit scenario how did you manage that at the beginning of your relationship with salesforce
1: yeah in professional services you have to become comfortable being uncomfortable right, it's the bottom line your business is never in equilibrium and uh, you just need to face that reality. And the first professional services I helped build a long time ago, I really struggled with that because I wanted peace and calm waters. And you never truly have that. So, I think the first and foremost thing is you recognize this is a problem that's never going away, but you can put processes and systems in place to minimize the amplitude of those ups and downs that come along there so i think first and foremost is being very intentional about your processes and systems and what you track and making sure you have those leading indicators to understand what your capacity is going to be along the way so we're data junkies we're process junkies ourselves and we have all of our systems built out so i can tell you you know exactly how many leads we're going to get what percentage of those we're going to close how long it's going to take those to close so we can predict our capacity on the back end and we use what we call a data-driven hiring approach on the back end to make sure we have the right amount of people ready to do the work along the way. One advantage we do have, Paul, which is unusual for a lot of professional services firms, because we do focus on smaller businesses, you know, we're serving about 190 clients at a time right now. You know, it's, it's a lot of singles. If you want to use a baseball analogy, it's, yeah. it's not a home run. So it's not like, oh, we just landed this $20 million deal. We need hundreds of people to onboard. It's, it's smaller deals, which allows us to deal with some of that capacity issue a little bit better. Obviously, there's negatives to that as well, but y- there's pros and cons to every business model, as, as you know. Yeah. And what percentage would be co-sale versus pass to you? Yeah, so it's all co-sell and we really try to encourage Salesforce to get us in very, very early and and come alongside them early in the process. Occasionally, we'll be brought in after the fact. Also, sometimes we'll be brought in as kind of remediation. They were working with a partner, it didn't work out or they didn't use a partner. And a new AE's coming in and has that account and suddenly they're getting yelled at and we get brought in and say, Hey, can you fix these problems so I can sell them some more licenses down the road? It's um, you know, really probably eighty, ninety percent new logo coming in, helping them sell from the very beginning. And we really want to come alongside Salesforce very early in that process so we can add the most value. Yeah, Brian and Obviously, you're doing exceptionally well, right? So now let's
0: move across to the, the people side, right? Because I think that's an absolute strength of yours. To, you know, to go from you to 125 people in the nine years is credit to the fact that you're doing something very well. And when we met, you talked about your core values. And, you know, like I've heard people talk about their core values before, but you were so passionate about it and articulated it so well. I think, you know, you listening to John to. To hear this so just take us through you know why you set them up and and what are those core values and how
1: you live them on a day-to-day basis yeah I've had the pleasure of helping build multiple businesses and one thing I learned from those businesses is you want to build a business you love and a way you build a business you love is you build it with intentionality and focus and then you track the data and and listen to the facts and, and respond to the facts um, but you stay true to who you are and you don't get caught up in the emotions and feelings and all the things that come along with it so i tried to be very intentional about okay i know this is a a business that i think has some merit i want to get after it but i'm gonna be very true to who i am and what i want to build and if i can't do that that's okay i won't build a business or the business won't scale or whatever i'm fine with the outcomes of that but i'm gonna be stay true to who i am and higher to that scale to that and be true to it. So we have three core values. And I believe, you know, that really drives everything we do. And we we repeat them all the time. We talk about them all the time. And we live up to them and hold ourselves accountable to them. So first and foremost, it's about making an impact with our customers. We really want to be a blessing to business leaders as they scale their business, help them not make all the mistakes that we've made building businesses. We live vicariously through them. And as a result, that's where we get all our fulfillment from. That's our big why, as Simon Sinek would say. That's why we get out of bed in the morning. uh, And that's what we're really about. So client happiness is non-negotiable. If we're not fulfilling that mission, nothing else matters to us. And Um, how
0: do you track that uh, client
1: happiness? Yeah, so it's multifaceted is the short answer to that. And so we use our data, like how fast do they pay? How interactive are they with us? You know, we're measuring how communicative they are with us and those kinds of things. We do happiness surveys every 30 days from one to ten. How happy are you with what's going on? And then we ask them, you know, hey, if you want to leave a comment, let us know. Because we want to know their emotional state. We could be doing everything perfect and they'd be upset. We could be messing up a lot and they're still happy. I, I want to know how they're feeling so that we can be proactive and address that. And then we use a bunch of other data metrics and things like that to make sure we're staying on track from a happiness perspective. Right. Right. Okay. So we've got impact to the customers. What's number two? Yeah. So that's our customer focus. Equally important is our employee happiness. And so one of the main reasons I'm an entrepreneur is I love flexibility. I never want to have a an job, <laughs> And uh, I think work is fun. I think, um, yeah, work can be fulfilling. And, you know, when you're doing what you're called to do, it doesn't feel like a job. And I really wanted that for our team members. And I really wanted them to not miss out on all the other important things in life. Because we, a lot of times we kind of compartmentalize life and we, I believe life is fully integrated. And so I wanted them to be around their kids when they were growing up. I wanted them to have a meaningful dating life, if that's for the season that they're in. I wanted them to, I wanted it to be an and and not an or. And I wouldn't have them to choose I also want to be able to live and be wherever they wanted to, and be close to their family and stuff like that. So our core employee principle is flexibility. And so we architected Fast motion from day one, back in 2014, as a remote first company. And we built all of our systems and processes around not micromanaging people and allowing them to live life, do good work, and things of that nature, according to what seasonal life they're in and how they want to do life, and really focus on just fulfilling that mission of being a blessing to those, those business leaders. So that's our employee focus. One thing I always tell people, because they they hear that and they're like, that's awesome. It doesn't mean we don't work a lot. We work a ton. And consulting, as cloud consultant. we work our butts off. It's a hard, hard job. But when you're doing it in context of an environment that you love and you're doing what you love, it doesn't feel like work and it's very fulfilling to do those kinds of things. So we just try to create that as a core principle in an environment that
0: we have. And once again, you, you know, you're measuring uh, you know, staff happiness, staff flexibility, you know, how, how, yeah, what measures are you using for that?
1: Once again, it, it's an iteration of multiple processes and it's a multifaceted approach to look at a lot of different lenses uh, along the way. So we have all the hard data, how many hours do they log in, uh, how, how fast do they log their time, you know, are they logging their time on the last day of the month? You know, all those kind of metrics uh, along the way to 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 see how they're doing. We're measuring how communicative and how interactive they are with our customers. We're tying those happiness scores back to the people in those projects to see what's going on there. We're also, you um, know, doing multiple things from, um, you know, employee development perspective, from they're having one-on-ones with their managers. And it's not just as simple as, you know, how you doing that kind of thing we have a very defined rubric we're asking different questions we're measuring their work score their life score their health score and talking about those things Um, we're mapping them to our career journey and employee journey and saying okay what path do you want to take how are you trending here all right where's your weak spots what do you need to work on all those kind of things we're reviewing their calls and we're saying okay here's how you can improve you want to be a senior consultant okay Let's go through these calls together and look at where okay you could have been a lot more prepared here you you need to consult you know you need to do whatever and so it's a very built out process but the goal there is to build people up and grow them up to stay and not leave and so we're investing heavily in all aspects of their life and all aspects of their career yeah great and I've got a couple of questions I'll come back to on that one but
0: let's go to so we so far we've you know talked about customers talked about employees what's the third call that
1: the, the final thing is the company. The company needs to be healthy. And so we're unashamed to be profitable. And honestly, we believe if you're not building a profitable business, something's broken and something's wrong. And so there's nothing wrong with profitability. Uh, and honestly, that means you're, you're succeeding and doing well. And it, it's a scoreboard of, all these things you're doing right to get to there. So winning is our company principle on that side. So the scoreboard matters for our clients. They should expect results. We should deliver results, but they should also appreciate us, pay us well. You know, We don't discount. It is what it is. There's no easy path to get to where they want to go. We've got to guide them and help them and treat their business like our own. And that just sets up the company to make wise decisions. So we can always say true to who we are, these three core principles. We don't have to Grab revenue and compromise something. There, we can say yes to the right things, no to the wrong things, and and just really stay aligned around those core values because we built the company so that we have financial margin to take advantage of opportunities and then deal with things that happen like COVID or you know the economy and inflation or whatever you know good things. COVID turned into a good thing for a lot of our businesses, right? But when it first hit, we were like, oh, you know, we had no clue. Um, but you, you get what I'm saying. It allow, it sets us up to make, always make wise decisions and that's what we want to do. And then it also makes sure we we have the financial means to continue to take care of our team members and pay them really well and and reward them for the great work that they're doing. And then be around long term to serve those customers that we want to serve. Right. And, and do you have an incentive scheme or how do you uh, remunerate
0: your, your yeah. people based on the principle of profitability?
1: Yeah. So we believe that all of our processes and systems should filter up into those three core values and keeps everything aligned. So the processes keep everything aligned and in sync. So it creates like a flywheel and the business kind of runs itself. One of those key things that I learned and one of the key takeaways, and you and I could probably do a whole separate podcast on this alone, is aligning compensation to making sure we're staying focused on those three core values so that the employee is able to make a lot more money and thrive, but it's tied to the things that drive value for our customers, that drive profitability and then drive employee happiness along the way. And so I'm not the one that's worried about revenue, profitability, employee happiness, making sure everything's working together. Everybody is because their compensation is aligned to their role and their role is tied to other roles and and it all kind of fits together. And so we can really peel back that onion and get into the weeds on how that works. But the bottom line is every single person in the company is on a variable compensation plan that's tied to the levers that produce the results that we want. It's extremely achievable um, and it keeps them focused on one, what really matters. And that really kind of just keeps the, the business running from from that perspective. And what, what are that variable comp? what's Total company team based
0: versus individual based? What sort of percentage?
1: Yeah, so it it, it all depends on your role. As you move up in the organization, your variable comp becomes 100, 150% of your comp. (laughs) I mean, you know, know, on top of your base salary, you know, so your, your variable comp becomes way more than your base salary as you continue to grow. And so we recruit to this, it's not for everybody. Um, so it's people that want to bet on themselves. It's people that that are willing to take that opportunity and know that they, hey, I want to, I want to do this kind of thing. At the entry level positions, it's a lot less of a percentage of their overall comp because they're just now getting started and things of that nature uh, along the way. So a lot of our delivery team members, it's it's billable target based. That's very achievable. We don't believe in putting unreasonable billable targets around that because we want them to average our targets that we have and not go over or under them. Because if they're going over them, they're gonna become burned out. If they're gonna go under them, you know we're not gonna achieve our utilization metrics or profit metrics and something's wrong. They're not uh, trained properly, we don't have enough work, whatever's going on, we gotta fix that, right? Once you get into leadership, it's more based on profitability of what you manage and it kind of rolls up. So we, we have pods or teams, uh, those team leaders, we call them project leaders, they get a percentage of the profitability every month of the projects that they manage and the team that they manage. Yeah, great. And and uh, just so um,
0: I've got it right, and and, and you listening, uh, following John here, we, we just took quickly. We're talking to John Burnett, uh, episode four eight one, and he's from fastslowmotion.com, which we'll have all the links in the show notes. So, just on the, uh, is it an at risk component? i.e., like is the percentage of their base lower than maybe someone in an equivalent company, but the percentage upside is far greater.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, so we we cap our base salaries and once you get to a certain level, you don't make any more than that. And they make substantially more than that base salary uh there. So once again, it takes the right type of person and and we think that's a good thing. So we we're very intentional about our recruiting and we're trying to hire the right people. And if those people that we're recruiting aren't on board with that, that's a really good sign that they're not going to be a good fit here. And so it allows us to recruit the right people and be disciplined about the hiring process along the way. Because it's not for everybody, but for the people that get it or whatever, like we pay people substantially more than market. And it's it's awesome to see how much we're paying these people, and how well they're doing, and um, how it's impacting their families, and those kinds of things along the way. Yeah, yeah, and and this is a you know I don't know if you've got the number in your
0: head. You're very data driven, but your your percentage of staff turnover. You know what's your percentage of turnover?
1: Yeah, it's it's very low on that. You know, you know five percent or so. Some turn. I was thinking about this earlier this week. Like the concept of having no turnover is a really bad, yeah. bad sign. It means you're not growing. It means you're not improving. It means you're maybe not taking enough risk or whatever. So you need some level of turnover because not everybody is going to align with your culture and there's a better opportunity out there for them. So our desire is is to recruit, be very true to who we are. Honestly, when they talk to me at the very end of the interview process, I'm trying to convince them not to come on board with us uh, and to make sure they're truly into it. But the turnover we do have is typically they didn't enjoy consulting um, because everybody thinks they like it. We all know on this podcast, all the people listening and stuff, it's hard. It's, it's very enjoyable for the people that are called to do it and stuff like that, but it's not for everybody. And so, but some people think it is and and they need to try it out. And and so we do hire a lot of entry level people and grow them up. And so that turnover is is around that, where you know that hey, I just want to be you know an admin at a, a large company, or I just want to do this. And and I say just that that's that's I shouldn't have said that. That's what they need to be doing. That's what they're good at. And there's there's roles out there are very important, and they're just not called to be a consultant.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think you know we used to talk to Coca Cola. We still got regrettable turnover. That was the number yeah. we really track. Like, how many key people? How many yeah. people did he lose? I think that's that's the key number. And the other thing is, you know, Jack Walsh used to say from you know GE, you know, ten percent was his rough rule of thumb that you know yeah. you should be uh, taking. You know, as you said, you know, not everyone's the right fit and you know, not everyone what, you, what they thought the job was going to be is and not everyone's performing to the level that they expected themselves. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. But it sounds like the way that you've got this at-risk remuneration is, is working extremely well. So, it's something that, you know, you should consider. And if you want to find out more, you know, follow John up uh, after this podcast. So, um, if we just had to sum those values up into three words. What are those three words that you guys
1: use internally? So we we call impact, which is our purpose. Yep. Uh, flexibility, which is our employee focus, and is people. So it's kind of I call it three Ps: purpose, yep. people, and 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 profitability uh, around the company. There. So those are the the three things that I I typically say. But our profitability verbiage is winning. We call that winning because we wanted to define what a win is. Yep. Right. So.
0: The question I want to circle back to is, you know, you found 100, well, more than 125 people because you've had 5% uh, churn. So, uh, you know, you found a lot of people. Well, what are
1: some strategies that have worked really well for you for recruitment? Yeah. So I think focus and intentionality is, is by far the most important thing. This isn't something you just try. I think you try to map, like with anything, you you try to be very intentional about it. And you develop a strategy, and you fail fast on the things that are not working, and don't be scared to iterate and try different things. Um, So we we dedicate team members and process and systems and resources to this in order to be successful. So we have an amazing director of recruiting, uh, we have a director of people, and then we have a whole team that our, our our COO Matt Dyer you know, kind of leads these functions and builds out these processes and systems. But the core fundamental things around it are, and then, of course, really important, our marketing team is constantly marketing to our candidates out there and pushing out our messaging and things of that nature. So hopefully, like every interaction somebody has with us is extremely consistent, and they're hearing the same thing, and then we're we're recruiting to the right things there. But to make sure people are serious, we're really big on assignments, so everybody... That goes through the interview process with us, does an assignment, and it's intentionally vague. So it's not like it's just a a rote test. We're not really trying to measure their IQ. We're measuring, yes, their IQ, but also their consulting capabilities, their communication capabilities, their ability to follow instructions and things of that nature. And so we do do things like that to to really, you know, like in our world, it says you need to... um, you know, complete this assignment, and you you need to tell us within 24 hours when you're going to get it done. So they get to define the timeline and things of that nature around different things, and that's really revealing for exactly. us because we get to see them, we get to see how they interact, we get to see their attention to detail, and we get to measure their technical acumen, their business acumen, their communication skills, uh, and then from there we do behavioral profiles and and culture assessments and and things of that nature. Yeah, brilliant. So, and if I've got it right, so it's all internal
0: recruitment team. Do you use any external resources?
1: Our director of recruiting was external uh, at the very beginning. Um, I tell him all the time he's the only recruiter I've ever met that I liked. <laughs> recruiters out there. Uh, but as we know, we're constantly getting, you know, um, there's a lot of recruiters out there and unfortunately they don't always do things the right way. but I, I felt really strongly once he fit our culture he 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 hired the core values and not just trying to push three people through the process and tell me how amazing they were and and just the right things um, because hiring mistakes, you can't have them, especially as you're growing the smaller you are, the worse they're going to be. and so you need to be very intentional about that because um, they're extremely costly and it can really derail you and so you have to have the disciplines to say no. It's much better off not doing the hire than compromising and getting that person on board. So finding a director of recruiting that aligns with that mindset and that passion and then compensating them the right way around those things is critical. So like our comp plan for our director of recruiting, he only gets comped on the people that pass the assignment. And that we hire yes so i don't care about the volume coming in you got to have a big funnel coming in yes but i want the quality ones coming in uh going going through and that's what we're going to pay you on that kind of thing
0: yeah 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 brand brand and then you know i think that as an overall philosophy i think the you know the the pay for performance i'll get it right give them a is, you know, I think a really strong ethos here. And um, obviously it, it's working really successfully. And um, just once again, you're listening to John Bur- Burdett and it's episode 481 and he's from fastslowmotion.com. And once again, the links will be in the show notes. So what we're going to do now, John, is go into the rapid fire where I'm going to ask you four questions and you're going to give me four rapid responses. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. So the first thing is what are some of the daily habits you do to scale fast slow motion?
1: Um, I say focus on the the little things. We believe we do the little things right. The big things will take care of themselves. I don't know how to control outcomes, but I know how to control the daily things that I do. So we're very focused on those kinds of things.
0: Right. And where do you find information about scaling your business? Where are you learning? Where are you educating yourself?
1: Yeah, honestly, I learned most of what I'm doing on this business by messing it up in other businesses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh and so that's where I've that that's the life is the life lessons have been there. Uh but nowadays, you know, we listen a lot to Patrick Lincioni, Simon Sinek, and those types of people. We we're a big fan of their materials and then apply that into a lot of our processes and systems. So also Craig Rochelle, Andy Stanley are some big influencers of mine as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, Brilliant, great. And uh the next one is we grant you one wish for our slow motion. mob but that be? that the business does way better without me than it does with me. Right, I haven't had that one before and I love it. The last one is, uh, you know, what do you know now that you wish you had have known sooner?
1: That life is fully integrated and that you don't have to compromise on one aspect and you can be successful in all aspects of life if you do it with intentionality and focus. Love it, absolutely love it.
0: So um, it's been a joy meeting you you've uh you know really shared openly so the conversation we've had you've done the same thing to all of you there so john is an open book he runs a fantastic business and um you know all the links will be in the show notes but uh john uh, well done for what you've achieved in the nine years and i can't wait to see what the next nine brings and uh yeah thanks for coming on the show today
1: thanks so much for having me
0: what a great interview with john he's got uh so much energy so much passion so much conviction but he's also such a caring and uh, lovely guy so uh, if you love the interview like uh, i did please share uh, that with him so uh, you know linkedin is a great place uh, just go and post something on linkedin and uh, mention it take a photo maybe of the episode if you've got other peers uh salesforce partners HubSwell partners uh, no matter what the platform why don't you share it i love you for it. They'll think you're a rock star. Check out our solo shows. Also check out our scaling blueprint. For you as a cloud consultant, it's a free ebook that allows you to benchmark where you're at. Just go to pullingansmentoring.com forward slash blueprint. Get your free copy today and please take action to grow with less effort and more reward. Learning is just one piece of the puzzle. It is now time for action. Head to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. Get the links and put it into action. Head to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Suggest topics for me to cover at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com. And don't wait one more minute to gain access to content, especially for you, a cloud consultant, at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash newsletter. This could be the difference between wasting time figuring it out yourself or
1: scaling quickly with less effort to enjoy life.